the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to the Sleeper and the Bus. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today, of course, we're talking about the latest news in the wonderful world of PEDs and discussing the updated positional rankings that we just recently started posting. But first, we have some breaking news on Bryce Harper and his knee. Eno, you were telling me about some tweets, so why don't you share with us the news? He's going to visit Dr. James... Andrews. James Andrews, isn't he the elbow specialist? So he's apparently a jack of all trades and he just fixes every body part, huh? <laughs> he's going to get Tommy John on his knee. <laughs> Tommy John. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he's going to get a new Bryce Harper surgery that they're going to start naming after him. Yeah. Well, a couple of guys uh, that cover the Nats are reporting that he um, might get uh, knee surgery, but I don't think it'll be you know, big time, many, many, many weeks sort of uh, knee surgery. It sounds like bursa sac, so um, I would, you know, maybe add two weeks on top of whatever timetable they had, two or three weeks. But um, uh, it's not definite yet. And uh, as always, I say we're not doctors, and, you know, selling now is selling without complete information, and it just seems like a bad idea. Yeah, well... That's very unfortunate for Harper owners, especially given the fact that he was in the middle of the type of season that many thought he was capable of and led them to draft him as early as like 10th overall in uh, single season leagues. So I guess and also related. I don't own him once. <laughs> yeah, me either. So lucky for us. And uh, it's always nice to see injury. I mean, it's obviously not nice that players get injured but it's it's nicer when those players aren't on your fantasy team of course yeah. all right before- i tried i tried you know i tried i liked i like him and i and i actually said you know that i would take trout at the beginning of his career but that it would be much closer um the, the decision between them would be much closer once once you started getting into the later years because i think harper has more power but, yeah clearly but uh, you know i just couldn't I couldn't bring myself to draft him that early. It was just, you know, everyone was taking him so early. And I was like, you know, we don't know all these things. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, just, you know, hopefully it'll just be a couple more weeks. Right. Okay. Before we get to the most interesting player alive today, you know, I heard that you like beer. And I'm pretty sure that you also like statistics. So is there anything that you would like to share about your interests uh, in these two staples of life. Oh yeah, we're we're opening up a a, a Fangraphs spinoff. So yes. we're gonna we're 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 opening up a site called Beer Graphs that'll uh, ruin beer with spreadsheets, just like Fangraphs ruined baseball with spreadsheets. So is uh, is is the new phrase going to be "Get your head out of the mug"? <laughs> yeah. Or the same phrase, "Get your head out of the spreadsheets," and <laughs> you know. Uh, beers aren't decided, you know. Beer, beers aren't decided on the on the uh, in spreadsheets. They're decided in the mug. <laughs> <laughs> Get your head out of the spreadsheet and into the mug. Oh my God! I think that's your slogan. There we go. <laughs> but uh, I think 
Fangrass fans will get a kick out of, at the very least, the logo if they don't like beer. The, the logo is kind of fun. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to start off. I mean, Fangrass, uh, started a long time ago and it started slowly. So we're going to have, you know, we're going to have some leaderboards, some, uh, beginning rankings and some analysis to begin with and a blog that's a little bit like not graphs, but for beer. And, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll just have to, uh, see how it goes. You know, I, I'm really excited because I love beer and I, as you said, I like stats and I think that. There's a lot to be said, a lot of good that we can figure out with uh, with the numbers. So, um, yeah, we're having a meetup in San Francisco on Friday night um, at the public house. Uh, basically, happy hour, 4:30 uh, to whenever the games are over. We're we're too drunk and have to go home. Uh, but we're gonna have a meetup with guys like uh, <clears throat> Ian Miller, um, and uh, it looks like I think Grant from Recovery Chronicles is gonna be there and. Uh, Wendy Thurm and a bunch of people. Uh, some brewers are going to be there, and we're just going to have our informal sort of question and answer meetups um, with some beer. I'll buy some beer and some food for people. So. Now, when you say some brewers are going to be there, you don't mean Gene Segura and Ryan Braun. You mean beer brewers, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean beer brewers. <laughs> <laughs> because that was my first thought. Like, wait a second, Milwaukee brewers are going to be there? Maybe <laughs> no. I would have to fly uh, fly out there. Yeah, and we're you know they're they're embroiled in some stuff right now. I mean you know, they, I think Brian Braun is busy right now. Yes, I would say so. Oh, you know what? And I have to be honest. I I'm gonna admit it right on this show. I don't drink beer. Yeah, laugh at me. I know I'm weird. I'm a guy who doesn't drink beer, but I am actually very excited for this site because I think that there's a lot that you guys can do, and it's amazing to me how many ways and tangents you can take this whole blank graphs idea uh it didn't really seem to get as many comments as i was hoping for but in a couple of my deep league waiver wire posts i tried to start a poem graphs i was uh, i was writing some poems and i was calling it uh i think it was rhymes above replacement poet or, or rarp that didn't really catch on but you can see all the ways that having some graphs can go and start up sister websites so yeah yeah and and that's uh i mean that might be where this is going we'll, we'll just have to see what happens but um uh you know and, and we might have a post for you eventually i mean what some of the things we'll, we're going to answer are you know are there gateway beers you know um so we're going to see and we're going to try and find out if there are beers that sort of bridge the gap between non-beer drinkers and and craft beer drinkers or um and, you know, just different questions like that. I feel like, um, uh, you know, and also I never I didn't used to be a beer drinker. I mean, when I lived in New York City, for the most part, I was a cocktail guy. Um, and, uh, you know, some of it's just uh, slowing down a little bit. I mean, I got a one year old and I'm not going out on the town anymore. So, <laughs> so for some reason, just like sitting a beer down in a cup uh you know, and, and just relaxing kind of feels better these days. Yeah, we can probably talk beer for the rest of the podcast, but we're not going to... Let's talk steroids. <laughs> let, let, let's talk baseball. Before we get to the steroids, let's talk about the most interesting player alive today, which is probably a little more interesting, because I think most people are just tired of the whole PED scandal. So let's talk Julio Tehran, who is this close. And if you were sitting next to me right now and can see me, you would see how close my fingers are together. This close to a no-hitter 
yesterday. <laughs> and so is Julio Tehran, has he finally arrived? Because, I mean, his first month, his April was pretty awful. But he's really turned it on lately, of course, after I dropped him in the one league that I drafted him. Yeah, I mean, I I struggle with him because I, I watched him and I felt like, you know, if I didn't look at the numbers at all, I would say he has bad control. And I thought he was missing his spots and kind of all over the place. It's possible that he has uh, good control and bad command because you can miss your spots and, and still get it in the zone. So that might be going on a little bit. Also, his picks does not leave me very excited. I mean, uh, he kind of, I guess the curve is morphed into a slider, so he's kind of a fastball slider guy with the sinker, and he only throws the changeup 4% of the time. So uh, for a righty, and, and, you know, he used to have vaunted velocity. I mean, he used to have 93 for 95 kind of uh, fastball velocity, and that's, that's sort of gone too. So uh, I think a lot of shine has come off, and, you know, a lot of asking the chat today who goes when Brandon Beachy comes. And I know it's kind of impossible to say this now uh, after that, that no-hitter, but I'm, I'm starting to think that Terron goes. You think so? Because this is actually exactly what came up on last night's Fantasy Baseball Roundtable show. And one of the panelists that I asked also said he thinks it's going to be Tehran. I said I would be shocked if it's Tehran. I mean, this is a guy who's had so much hype, has been one of their best pitching prospects, and looks like he's finally blossoming. I mean, he had a 260 ERA in May. He's obviously coming off a fantastic start in June. How can they possibly move him to the bullpen or send him to the minors after he's doing exactly what they were hoping for? So I, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but I think maybe... Why not? I mean, Beachy's coming off of Tommy John surgery himself, so you know his control probably isn't going to be great upon his return. Why not put him in long relief? I mean, how can you possibly demote Tehran after what he's done? Uh, he's got like a 390 Sierra. Yeah, it's true. And and, and you, you mentioned he's fastball slider, and lefties have killed him this year. I mean, they're hitting uh, their Woba against him is 364 versus a 263 Woba for righties. So he's clearly not a finished product. Yeah, and, you know, I just, uh, I, the, the, the fastball-sinker-slider combination to me. He's Justin Masterson-like. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a little bit different if you have a four-seam and a sinker. You know, maybe they are different enough that that's like really two pitches instead of just a fastball. And he does throw the curve still, it looks like. Um, I'm kind of trying to look at the different sites right now. But it looks like he still throws the curve maybe 10% of the time. But, you know, I really think he needs that changeup. And, you know, by all accounts, it's not great. And, you know, he's only throwing it 4% of the time. So I think that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen because he, he could easily run up against a team with a bunch of lefties and then have a really bad game. And then they could easily say, well, you know what? We think he needs to work on the changeup just a little bit more. And, you know, postpone it and just say, okay, hey, Julio, go down, throw the, the curve, throw the changeup a ton. We don't care what your stats say. As soon as there's another opening, we'll get you back up. And, you know, and that could be easy because uh, they have a veteran rotation. Tim Hudson could, you know, grab a hammy pretty easily. Um, and, uh, and then they find him. And, you know, you need six starters. So I don't think that. Tehran's usefulness for this year is over, but 
you know, just the, the way the year that Medlin had last year, that I think counts a little bit more than the couple of starts that Tehran has had, you know, in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read any speculation, so I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. And it's going to, whatever the choice is, it, it might surprise all of us just because we don't know. And I don't know, if I was a betting man, I think I would say that Tehran keeps his spot and it's Beachy who gets, you know, starts in the minors or, or to build his arm strength or maybe is in long relief. But I, I'm not too confident in that decision. Yeah, and they, they, you're right, though, that I, I like what you're saying about Beachy because, you know, they have a full 30 days to give him if they want. So uh, before even optioning him. And I think that he's still full of options. So what they could do is, you know, wait 30 days and then say, hey, we're going to option him to the minor leagues and give him another couple of weeks. We just think he needs a little bit more, you know? Yeah. So they could just postpone it and then, oh, hey, Tim Hudson's hammy hurts. Okay, we're going to put him down. Here comes Beachy. Um, so they'll do some machinations, and I think that uh, basically the six Braves starters will all have fantasy value from here on out, and probably it's Tim Hudson that has the worst value. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think a lot has to do also with how Beachy is looking in terms of velocity and in terms of his control. If his velocity isn't back, if his control is uh, shaky, even more the reason to just leave him in the minor leagues. If his velocity has returned or is even up a tick and his control is fine, then maybe they feel more pressure to put him straight into the rotation and, and, and figure out what to do with, like, Tehran or, or pretend that somebody else is injured and put them on the DL or something. I don't know. So a lot will have to do with his actual performance when he's in his rehab starts. I think. Yeah, and Medlin, Medlin's stuff plays up a lot better in the pen. So, and they know that he can be a great, you know, great resource in the pen. Uh, I doubt of all the people that would maybe go to the pen. I feel like the least likely is Tehran because they'll be thinking about his future, and at this point, he needs to sort of stay in the rotation. I think. Yeah, true. All right, let's move along to what everybody's been waiting for. Clearly. Uh, more steroid news. Of course, you all know what happened uh, Tuesday night. ESPN reported that Major League Baseball was preparing to suspend 20 players, and uh, and then after that, Bob Clappish. I don't know if you saw this tweet. I don't even remember how I saw the tweet. I think it was in a, a message board posting. But Bob Clappish, who writes for Fox Sports, tweeted told there are other major major names involved in the Biogenesis scandal. Besides A-Rod and Braun, which is crazy to think because there were a whole bunch of names that were already involved that we knew. And he's saying that there are other huge names that we haven't even heard of yet. Did you read that tweet? Were you aware of that? No, I haven't actually seen that. It's, it, I mean, <laughs> at the very least, it seems pretty sensational. Yeah. <laughs> But all sorts of people could be involved in this. <laughs> I, it seems like a tweet where you're writing it knowing that it's going to be retweeted a million times and you're going to get your name in lights just because you were the one that said this. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, Sensation. Yeah. I mean, my God. Like, uh, oh, my God. Like, Cesar Puello, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy that we haven't been hearing about. And in fact, I actually, the reason I bring up Cesar Puello is because. I'm starting to think that Cesar Puello is the only guy who's going to go down for this because he's not on the 40-man roster. He's not protected by the Major League uh, Players Association. And so he's going to get 
he's going to get got the way Jordan Schaefer got got. Um, and they're going to say, you, you, there's enough evidence here that you're in trouble. You can't do that to a major league player. You can't say to a major league player, you know what? We think you, you should be in trouble. So you're in trouble. Yeah, so if you are a Ryan Braun owner, are you basically ignoring this and just assuming that he's not going to get suspended this year and you're not worried about him missing a whole chunk of time and killing your fantasy team? You know, I've seen I've seen some deals that I actually might take just because there there has to be some uh, there has to be some not risk. zero possibility. Yeah, it's not a zero possibility. Obviously, even if I think it's much closer to zero than other people might, it's not zero. So, ones deals that I've heard that I might take if I were a Braun owner were uh, something with Goldschmidt in it. Um, it was like a Goldschmidt plus for Braun. Yeah, yeah, I'd take that because Goldschmidt has power, speed, and a decent batting average. And, you know, you can find an outfielder. And so you're, you're only losing a couple homers and a couple steals. And Braun's not stealing that well this year. So um, I feel like that's not so terrible. I saw something with Justin Upton plus. So, um, so I feel like, uh, you know, that's okay to me. I mean, so, I know Upton has been up and down, but... He's well, also out of Upton. You got to assume he's going to be up and down. Right. <laughs> I'm full, I'm full of jokes. Is more came from. <laughs> but uh, I mean, but I think like obviously he's had a 30-30 season before. So and I think he's on his way to another good year. I mean, yes, he's he's in, in sort of down portion right now. But uh, anyway, if if you can if you can get something like that, then sure. But. Um, you know, I also talked to um, I also talked to Jack Moore about who sometimes writes for Rotographs, uh, used to write for Fangraphs. Uh, I, I talked to Jack Moore about this, and he was trying to take advantage of it on the other side. And so he tried some deals where he he threw out a deal. It was like uh, Seeger and um, oh man, I can't I can't remember who he added to it, but it was like Seeger and Masterson, or you know, just like a real. By low. A real, you know, screw you. Basically, <laughs> to see if the Braun owner is panicking and willing to give him up for 50 cents on the dollar. Exactly, yeah. And it, it might have been a little more, I mean. Right. So, I mean, basically you're suggesting if you're a Braun owner and you can give him up and get 95 cents on the dollar, that's fine if you're worried about this. But anything less than that, you don't think the risk of his suspension is high enough to justify giving him up for – Less than that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, you know, if if it is going to happen, maybe it's actually in the appeals process right, right now. I mean, that that could be going on because remember the first time we heard about Melky, um, there was a thing that someone said that he'd been in trouble, and then Andrew Baggerly asked Melky, and he lied and he said he wasn't in trouble, but he actually was in trouble and was appealing it at the time. And uh, it took about two or three weeks until the appeals process was denied and he was in trouble. So the reason that we're hearing about this now could be that the appeals process has started and um, that, you know, something might actually happen at the end of this appeals process. Basically that they're further along in the process than we know. Right. Because I would say otherwise that this is going to lead to something and then there'll be an appeals process and that will take months or something. And then, and then maybe they'll get in trouble. In which case, you might get a month or two out of Braun while he's playing through through uh, appeals or whatever. 
Um, but, you know, it's hard to know what we don't know. I mean, we're, we're all speculating. But, you know, again, I think this is a little bit like when a guy's hurt and you don't really know what's going on with the injury. It's like you're going to really sell this guy and then it's going to turn out that his knee was just a little sore and they just need another day off. And, you know, James Andrews says, you know, the bursa sack is fine and, you know, just give him till Wednesday instead of Tuesday. And you just sold Bryce Harper because you were sure he's going to get uh, Tommy John surgery on his knee. Yeah, maybe maybe we should just ask James Andrews all of our questions because it seems like he knows everything. <laughs> yeah. He's an all-knowing being. <laughs> I got a split nail on one of my toes. I could ask him about that. Dr. James Andrews, there you go. <laughs> he's the expert. All right, let's move along. I think there's been enough steroid talk to make us all want to pull our hair out. So, true or false, starting pitcher is the toughest position to cover for rotographs. There's only one answer here. <laughs> it's, it's totally true, and I think what's really interesting about it is the sort of, is the, you know, the age-old sample size thing. Um, you know, a, a batter bats every day and gets five PA, you know, five or six plate appearances, and we, we learn a little bit every year, every, every day. A pitcher pitches every five days and gives you a ton of information every five days. And it's so matchup specific. I mean, you know, the, the batter is going in there every day and getting different matchups, different matchups. You know, the pitcher goes in there and sees the sees Texas and Texas. And you get a bunch of data that's what's this pitcher going to be like in Texas in this month, you know. And then he leaves and then you have to sit there for five days wondering, well, was that pitcher just bad because it was Texas? Or is something really going on? And so I feel like there's a lot of sort of leaps and lurches in, in, in pitching analysis where you're just like, oh, my God, I thought Matt Cain had figured it out. Or, oh, my God, you know, I, Julio Terran is right now is like the thing. And then he goes out against a, a lineup full of lefties and gives up three homers and has a terrible game. And, oh, well, maybe he wasn't so good. Yeah, and uh, this morning I actually posted the update for the American League starting pitcher ranking tiers, and by far the guy that I got most lambasted for was Hisashi Iwakumo, who I placed in tier four below Derek Holland and Tommy Malone and Josh Johnson, and I thought that was completely reasonable given what we think we know right now about Iwakumo given his very small track record, and yet they were going crazy in the comments, even telling me that he's being disrespected, which I think is hilarious. But am I wrong here? Did I rank him too low? Should he be a tier above with guys like John Lester, Alex Cobb, Matt Moore, Anibal Sanchez? Or, or do you agree with where he's being ranked? Um, I mean, I... I agree with you that we have the 200 innings is, is a small sample. It's just one season. I mean, he just crossed over basically one season of data. Um, I, I think that he's probably maybe a tier higher, you know, third tier maybe, um, as opposed to fourth tier. Just I don't, I, I, I don't think you can put him in the elite just yet. I mean, he has a batting average on balls in play of 221. That's tiny. Uh, he's giving up line drives at, a, at a, about a 14.5% rate. The league average is 20%. And that's been one of the things that we have a hard time believing uh, pitchers can totally control. 
And um, otherwise, his stuff is uh, is playing up a little bit this year. He's getting more swing and strikes and uh, more strikeouts. So he's a little better than last year. It's hard to believe that someone has true talent, um, you know, one walk per nine uh, true talent ability. So I, I would have to say that you think he'll give up a few more walks. Um, but I, I'll take the under on the rest of season projections that have him at a 3.7 ERA. So I don't know why they're necessarily doing that. Maybe because they added velocity in this year, and he's not a big velocity guy. But, um, you know, I, Hiroki Kuroda isn't a big velocity guy either, and they have a very similar repertoire. And uh, so I, I, I could see him succeeding. I mean, it's always nice, even with the new walls, it's nice to call Seattle home. Yeah, and the thing is, is a lot of people, like I... I rarely look at ERA when I'm analyzing pitchers, and and rightly in the comments, you know, people will point out, oh, he has a 3.11 Sierra. But what I think people forget is that Sierra is built upon a pitcher's current skills, his current strikeout percentage, his current walk percentage, and like you said, there's just no way that Iwakuma is going to sustain a 1.3 walk rate, and I have my doubts that he's going to be able to sustain a 24% strikeout percentage. I mean, his pitch mix is almost identical to last year, minus a bit of velocity. So there's no real explanation behind the increased strikeout rate. So I don't think he can maintain those strikeout and walk rates, which are going to push his Sierra back toward the level he was last year, which is still a very good pitcher. But he doesn't play for a very good offense, and... With declining skills from what he's posted so far, I think it's completely justifiable uh, to place him where I did. Obviously, considering I was the one who placed him there. But I think that the fact that he said I was disrespecting him, I think, is a little overboard. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, it just... it just Oh, and I forgot the whole really inning. He, he only but... threw 100... Sorry for interrupting, but he only threw 125 innings last year. So, do you really believe he's going to throw 200 innings this year? Probably not. I mean, the projection. Oh, right hold now, on, hold on. The reason they did that though was because he, they didn't, they. So, it's a question of semantics here. It's a question of how much weight you put on the word disrespect. Because <laughs> yes, you are disrespecting him in that you are not respecting him as much as other people. You know, it's you're. You're, you're putting him lower than other people would have him. That's disrespect. But it's not disrespect like, you know, say hello to the wife. or You know what I mean? It's not, you're, not, you're not saying oh, something really terrible about it. I know. I know. But, <laughs> so, it... <laughs> but anyway, I, would I, you know, the, and, and actually the Mariners disrespected him last year because when, they, when he first came in, they put him in the pen. And it wasn't necessarily because of uh, injury it was because they thought he wasn't much good and he started off pretty poorly and then they put him in the pen he wasn't doing that well and then someone got hurt I think and he got slotted into the rotation and all of a sudden he took off and there might be something about you know pitching every five days maybe that's maybe that's what it is or maybe he's such a deception guy that you know it, it needs to it needs to happen he, he needs it to sort of go over multiple innings and he needs to sort of play the mind game with everybody but in any case I mean uh, I wouldn't say that you that he needs to be in the top tier. I mean, you only have one guy in the top tier, and uh, you know, is he? You know, I guess people would probably say David Price is injured. How could you have him over him? But you know, David Price hasn't shown that he's injured all year yet. It's just you know he's out right now. He could be back any moment and be fine. So uh, I would say that Max Scherzer, James Shields, CC, those guys are all clearly have much more track record and have 
sort of better underlying skills. But when you get into the Hiroki Kuroda, Clay Buckles, Matt Moore part of the third tier is, is just where I put him. So basically I'm saying, yeah, you disrespected you know, Iwakuma. You put him like four spots too low. Yeah, I, it's, it's a reasonable argument. I don't think that I, I strongly disagree. It's just a matter also of innings for me. Uh, last year, again, 125 innings. The guy is 32 years old. Previously in uh, Japan, he was at like 119 innings in 2011. He's only thrown 200 innings and exactly 200 twice since 2008, I believe, is what I just looked up. And so until a pitcher proves that he can consistently throw 200 innings, you have to assume that he can't. And, and so you got to assume only 180 and 190 innings. And, and that's going to hurt his value just because obviously more innings of a good ERA and whip are more valuable. And it will also lead to more strikeouts, more innings. So those are well, that's, that's a good point. I didn't. I, I thought that last year was just sort of a a blip. I I hadn't actually looked back to his Japanese numbers, and there was. I just I do remember actually when he came over, there were some injury concerns with him, and yeah, so that, that he's only had 200 innings twice. That's interesting. So you're not necessarily saying that they're going to limit his innings or that some sort of pen rotation thing is going to happen again, but no. just that he's shown in the past. He gets injured and it's hard for him to finish 200. You know, maybe like Steven Strasburg. Absolutely. I, you know, I like him just fine. I think the rest of the way he can post, you know, a mid threes ERA, 350, 360. I just think that the innings uh, might be a slight issue and his, his strikeout rate is going to come down a bit and, and wins might be a problem just because the offense isn't that great. All right, we got to move on. Let's talk about one last pitcher uh, in the uh, updated rankings, and that's Jared Parker who I didn't get any complaints about, but I thought you might have some insight because I know you really liked him. We talked about him early in the season when he was severely struggling, but his May was pretty much back on par. So is Jared Parker back to being the, the decent pitcher he is, and am I not giving him enough credit for his turnaround considering I have him all the way down in Tier 6 between David Phelps and Corey Kluber? Yeah, I- you know, he's doing the same thing where he's getting a bunch of swinging strikes and he still can't strike out more than seven per nine. So it's there's still something for me that's like not quite right. I don't know what it is. And I think it might be because he's got his control back, you know, to, you know, it's 3.7 walks per nine or nine and a half percent walk rate. That's that's not great, but it's not it's not terrible. And you might look at him and be like, oh, it looks like control's fine. His swing strikes are there. But the strikeout rate's not there, and so I wonder if it's he's a bit of a command thing with him. Maybe he's maybe he can't really put the ball exactly where he wants to put it. And that's even when I talked to him earlier this year, he said that was a problem for him. Is that he's he's always trying to work on his fastball command. So, I mean, I I, I still like him. I, I I like anybody who can put up a 10% swing strike rate from the in the rotation. Uh, those guys will always get my eye. I think that he's he's got more upside beyond what he's doing right now because he's he's given up a homer and a half and you know he pitches in Oakland and hasn't ever given up a, a homer per nine um, in his past. So uh, you know I think he can probably pitch to a high threes ERA going forward, and uh, I, I'm starting to worry about my idea that he's going to uh, ever strike out eight eight or nine for nine. Even though, you know, by velocity and swinging strikes, it really looks like he should. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's uh, just an issue of getting looking strikes. And uh, I'm actually going to check out my expected strikeout rate spreadsheet 
quickly and, and see if that's the issue because that seemingly has been the explanation when I see a, a pitcher who posts a high swinging strike rate and yet their strikeout rate doesn't actually uh, equate. And it, it's usually the explanation is that it's not enough looking strikes. And bringing up Parker, we see that, yeah, his looking strike rate this year is 25%. League average is 27%. And uh, I would assume this has been the case uh, previously as well. For whatever reason, he just doesn't get as many looking strikes as other pitchers. And so even though his swinging strike rate uh, makes it seem like he should be a high strikeout guy, he just doesn't get enough of those called strikes. And and Hiroki Kuroda and Jaime Garcia are other guys that have that exact same problem. And, and that just seems like a sustainable lack of a skill. And and so until he starts getting those cold strikes, which may ne- never happen, he's just going to have you know mediocre strikeout rates. Yeah, I just uh, I just got the SQL query for edge percentage from uh, Jeff Zimmerman. So uh, maybe my homework for next week will be to uh, do some edge percentage numbers on uh, those guys. Corota, you said Corota, Parker, and uh, Jaime Garcia. Well. Maybe I won't do him. He's probably not relevant this year. But Kuroda uh, and Parker is interesting. And maybe I'll throw Iwakuma in just because Iwakuma has such a similar skill set to Kuroda. Uh, maybe he has uh, better ability to get the looking strike. So uh, I check out edge percentage. I really like edge percentage. It's the, the ability of a pitcher to hit the edge. I think it's a, it's a possible uh, command number where, you know, walks per nine is a control number. Maybe we can get a command number out of this idea that if they can hit a spot on the corner of the strike zone, that probably means they have pretty good command. Um, you know, I, and I wrote about Matt Cain today, and you know, w- the thing that I could find statistically because I couldn't find anything. I was looking at everything. Velocity is the same. Swinging strike, you know, uh, ground ball rate is the same. Uh, walk rate is the same. Strikeout rate is the same. It, it's the same. It looks like the same Matt Cain, except that he's giving up, you know, like two homers per nine almost. And the one thing that I could find statistically is that his edge percentage has gone down, and he's throwing more pitches over the heart of the plate. Um, and that's that's an easy way to give up more home runs. There might be some sort of mechanical thing, but you know the way it shows up in the numbers is edge percentage. So, you know, maybe I'll do some more edge percentage numbers in the future. Yeah, and and the thing with Matt Cain is it's similar to our discussion about Ike Davis. Is that us looking at stats like edge percentage and heart percentage, trying to come up with an explanation for struggling, I don't think it even matters. Because we look at Matt Cain and say, oh, well, he's throwing more pitches over the heart of the plate. That explains his struggles. Well, great. All it's telling us is a descriptive stat, a reason why he has struggled. But we know Matt Cain is better than this. He's proven that he's been better. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to continue. And and so you have to assume that the old Matt Cain who avoids the heart of the strike zone will will return sooner rather than later, and Matt Cain will be Matt Cain the same way as Ike Davis. We know he struggled. We don't have to hear that he looks lost at the plate. We know he's not hitting well, but we assume that he won't look lost at the plate moving forward. All right, let's move along to the uh, AL outfielder rankings update, and let's just talk about one guy because we are running out of time, and uh, I want to talk about Desmond Jennings because. I own him in a couple of leagues. He got a lot of comments, and he's still ranked rather highly at the top of Tier 3, uh, only two, five, only eight guys ahead of him. So he seems 
maybe too high. And even I, as an owner, think that he might be a touch too high, especially after getting dropped in the lineup. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't know what to say because I he's doing almost exactly what I thought he would do. Uh, I don't really – I don't have any complaints. You know, I, I got him in one league where I uh, – I got him in a sort of an OPS league, and I like the idea that he would walk about an average amount of time, play center field for me, have power and speed, and uh, have a decent OPS for a center fielder with speed. I wish he would steal a couple more bases, but you know what? One thing that I've noticed is that he, he's gotten caught five out of twelve times. Last year, he got caught twice in thirty in thirty three tries. So I believe that he can steal bases, and I don't know what <clears throat> adjustment he needs to make or. Uh, if his wheels have been hurting a little bit, but uh, I do think that he can sort of steal a couple more bases above pace and get to basically the 250, 260, 15 homers and 30 stolen bases that I, I have him down for at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was hoping for, and I'm sure that's what most owners were. Um, You're not far off that pace. I mean, right now, if you just extrapolate it out, he's probably 13, 14 homers. Uh, maybe you're down a little bit in runs in RBI. That's true, and, and maybe that has something to do with his spot in the lineup. But uh, I mean, you, you might still get close to 100 runs, and uh, you're going to get more than 20 stolen bases. The question is, is it going to be more 21, 22, or more 28, 29? Yeah, I, I just think that the drop in the lineup. I don't know how long that's going to last, and it was probably overdue, just because this is going on over over a full season now, where his on base percentage just isn't high enough to justify hitting in the leadoff slot, and, and you gotta you got to reduce his fantasy value. It was the same argument I had with B.J. Upton. Even if he does rebound offensively, which I assume he will, and he has been over the last week or so, he's still stuck batting eighth. That's going to reduce his at-bats, which is going to kill his runs and RBI opportunities. And the same thing with Desmond Jennings. He's going to get fewer at-bats now hitting like sixth instead of leadoff, which is going to hurt his ability to steal bases. Because he's just going to be at the plate fewer times, and it's going to hurt his runs, uh, his RBI opportunities to jump, but it's going to hurt all his scouting stats just because his plate appearances are going to dwindle. So I think he should be dropped a bit, but you know I'm crossing my fingers that he gets hot soon and he, he gets back to the top of the order. I just don't know if that's going to happen. All right, let's move along to the last rankings update, and that's Catcher. And let's talk about Jason Castro, who last September hinted at a power breakout, and then he carried that over into spring training, but we all know to take spring training stats with a grain of salt. But so far this year, that power breakout recently has manifested, and and that's pushed him into the top of the third tier in the most updated catcher rankings, which is between Matt Wieters and above Jonathan LaCroix, Salvador Perez, Victor Martinez, Miguel Montero. Personally, I think that's way too high, and that's putting way too much stock on, on recent hot streak by Castro. But but maybe I'm slow to come around. Do you like him more than me? I sometimes when I talk to a guy, I feel like I, I get uh, biased, interview bias, interviewers bias. Um, and uh, I think about this with Austin Wilson, a prospect that I just uh, talked to, and I think that. Maybe I like him more because he was so smart when I talked to him and, and he was nice. <laughs> but uh, I talked to Jason Castro and I listened to our interview a second ago in preparation for this. And Jason Castro told me that he was, uh, he's always been a line drive hitter and 
you know, that's something that we haven't found is totally in control of the hitters. But, you know, you always, there are always guys like Joey Votto that have great line drive rates. And Jason Crastero has had great line drive rates so far in his career. And he told me, I've always hit line drives. What I'm trying to do now, uh, this year, is play with the lift that I put on the ball and play with, basically play with my batted ball mix. He didn't really say that. But, you know, play with the lift that I put on the ball and see if I can put it in the air a little bit more. Uh, we know that uh, ground ball rates uh, stabilize really quickly, and uh, they've all he's gotten past the the benchmark for that. So it looks like uh, his new batted ball mix is going to hold. You know, if he can keep this line drive rate, which he sort of shows he's he's shown he can do in the past, then you've got a guy who's hitting line drives and hitting fly balls. And I don't know why that guy. That sounds like a guy who's going to have a power breakout. Well, you mentioned Joey Votto, and Jason Castro has been truly Joey Votto-ian this year. The most impressive thing about Votto, in addition to all the line drives, is is since 2010, Joey Votto has hit a total of two pop-ups. Two! Two over, over three seasons in two months. That's absolutely insane. Well, Jason Castro has hit zero pop-ups this year. Votto also has not hit a pop-up as well this year, but... Jason Castro, 188 at-bats, has yet to pop the ball up, and that goes along with a high-line drive rate. And so this suggests a really good BABIP. I'm just questioning if that 17% home run per fly ball rate is sustainable, just given the fact that in the minors he wasn't that big of a power hitter. Uh, I don't think he was supposed to be a huge power hitter. So I think he's more of a low-teens guy, and so it seems like it's more of a a power hot streak than uh, you know hints at a a 20-plus home run season which means that I like the guys ranked below him a bit better. Yeah, I mean, definitely by track record, you've got a point. Um, he's a Stanford hitter. Uh, sometimes those guys uh, take a little bit longer to, to get the Stanford out of their system, as, as some people would put it. Um, you know, I, I, I just think there's such a scrum, you know, once you get past the first eight or ten catchers that – I wouldn't uh, hold it against anybody who wanted to pick him up in a mixed league. No. You know, if no. you're, you're going to drop Miguel Montero for Jason Castro, that sounds like a big deal. But if you look at the rest of season projections for Miguel Montero, they're not much better than 260 and 10 home runs. So you're just betting that Castro can hit 260, which is something he's shown he can do, I mean, over his career. At the very least, he can, he can match that batting average or better it. So if you're going to say he's going to better it, then you can say, okay, well, if he's going to better 260 – and hit six to eight homers or have the upside of 10, well, then I've got a guy that might be better than Miguel Montero this year. Yeah, in a one-catcher league, I don't think there's a, a real problem with making that switch. And don't get me wrong, I definitely do like Castro, and for the most part, I do think he is for real. I just think that right now he's in for a bit of home number fly ball regression. But other than that, he's looking good, and, and the, the breakout looks pretty much for real, although some better contact would be nice to see. Uh, so, you know, if you want to make that switch in a one-catcher league, uh, you know, I, I I won't yell at you or criticize you for making that switch. I just like those guys ranked below him just a, a tad better that I personally would choose Montero over Castro or LaCroix or, or maybe even Salvador Perez, even though Salvador Perez, I think uh, I was a little pessimistic on uh, a couple of weeks ago. All right, well, that's going to do it for us today. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. 
Thanks, as always, for tuning in.